A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to see you guys here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 1, as we still haven't made it out of the first chapter. The Lord, we come before you this evening. God, thankful for your word, and thank you for the whole of it. God, there's, there's times when we can tend to focus, Lord, it, it feels like too much on the New Testament when the Old Testament is so rich with truth, and God, we ask that as we continue our time in Genesis chapter 1, that you would continue to teach us how to, Father, um, have faith in you, how to be submitted to your ways of life, and that, Lord, we would be able to find peace there within it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Okay. So, let me get to the top here. We have been going through Genesis verse by verse for a few weeks now, and we're only at verse 26, but it's been a couple weeks because of our night of testimony and communion and night of prayer that we've been able to get back into the Word. And so just a couple things we want to look at to remember is as we look at the book of Genesis, the name Genesis itself comes from this word Bereshit, which as we see in chapter 1, verse 1, it actually means in the beginning. And that's an important thing to remember for us in our faith is that God has actually instituted a beginning of things. And as there is a beginning of things, that means that there is a way that life is supposed to be lived. And so as we went through the first couple weeks together, we were faced with two challenges primarily as one, the challenge of faith in believing that this is how the world was created, that this is truly the beginning Because if we're believers, we have to believe the whole breadth of the Word of God, or we can't believe any of it. We're not going to break down that teaching again, but I'd encourage you, the second teaching that we had in the book of Genesis breaks that down much farther, but we have to believe in the Word as God has given it to us. To dismiss this account is to to dismiss Jesus himself and, and his Word as Jesus is one of the Godhead that was here in the beginning, creating all things. And then also, if it is the beginning of all things, we run into the challenge next of submission. Is if there is a beginning and there is a creator, then that means that creator gets to design a way of life. And if he calls it good, then we have to be submitted to what he calls good and aim to align the life we live in accordance with the way he designed it. And so with that, we begin to move further into the book of Genesis or chapter one of Genesis. And we're going to begin a three-part series here as we close Genesis one and we get into Genesis two next week and three the week after. But we're going to look at a three-part series about the creation of man. And so part one tonight is our initial calling pre our fall. And we'll see that in Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Next Wednesday, we'll see part two, the fact that man was not meant to be alone. 
And then part three, finally, we see our pride, our fall, and God's saving plan in Genesis chapter three. And so that's what we'll be in for the next little bit. But as we move specifically into part one of this three-part series, I want you guys to take a couple notes, is we're going to see three specific things just in these three verses. One is God's idea for the creation of man, or you can just say God's idea. We'll see God's follow-through in the creation of man. And then we will also see our calling that has been given to us. Again, this calling is not very different, but there are different realities pre-fall. And so we're going to see those three things today. Now, in verse 26, we pick up in day six of God's creation. But if you were in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, would you say amen? It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have, food, or you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So day six is packed full of direction and creation. And as we get into this first section, verses 26 and 27, we're not going to read it again as we just have. We see the idea God has and the follow-through that comes with it. And what's the first thing that God says? And I want us to note here, when we're speaking about God in the context of Genesis, we are always talking about him as the triune God. As we look at John 1, 1, and we're not going to break down that teaching again. Again, I encourage you to listen to uh, the last teaching of Genesis chapter 1. We see that Jesus is included in this, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so this isn't just the presence of the Father. This is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit creating all things and now creating man after their image and their likeness. Now remember as well, all other life has been cultivated, but God now has desired to install something different on the earth. This is something important to note, is that this is the first time God would make this distinction, and we'll continue to break this down, that this particular kind of creation is different than the rest. He wanted to make mankind in his image, and resemble in some ways his likeness. 
And so as we're breaking this down, you have these two words, image and likeness. I know in our, in our language, those tend to mean the same thing, but in the Hebrew language, they do not. The word image is a masculine noun, and it means a literal image, a likeness, a statue, a model, a drawing, or a shadow of the thing that is being cast upon it. And likeness is a little different in the fact that the word likeness in Hebrew acknowledges that they are two different things, but they have similarities. And so when God is saying, let's make them in our likeness, is acknowledging that man is not God, but there are characteristics that would remind others and us of who he is. And so as we talk about likeness, how uh, an example that I came across is you would compare the wickedness of men and the venom of a snake. While those are two different things, there are similarities in their characteristics that we would understand what is being said. And so God is saying here, we want to make man in our image. We want it to have a tangible example of us, but also our likeness in that the, there are characteristics that are similar. God has created men and women with these two unique characteristics that the rest of his creation does not possess. And I would remind you as we look at this, because there's a little bit of a time jump from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2. Genesis 1 is speaking about the complete act of creating man and woman. Genesis 2 goes back to explain the rationale as to why man and woman were created. But here in this text, God is speaking to both as they have both been created. So he is speaking to both here, and he made them both in his image. Now, <clears throat> again, remembering that mankind is the only one of God's creation that has been made in his image and likeness. There are things that we need to consider, and these aren't things that are new to our particular generation. Generations have been dealing with this since the beginning, as man in his pride would try to oppose God or become God. But the the hot topic or the words that we typically deal in are the words of science and evolution. But if this is true, if God has indicated that mankind is bearing his image and his likeness, and we're to believe God at his word, then there are types of evolution that would find themselves incompatible with the word of God. When it comes to the creation of men, again, these types of evolution would ignore a few biblical realities that are fundamental to our faith. Now, recalling all of chapter one, we have to remember that the creatures of the earth, this is point one, the creatures of the earth already existed in fullness. Adam and Eve were introduced into a world where all of the creatures were created to their full capacity and God called them at the end of each of their creations good. They were set in stone. They weren't changing from one thing into another. Adam and Eve weren't experiencing an evolutionary process in high speed. They were introduced to an almost complete world. Then we see in Genesis chapter 2, just giving you a little glimpse forward, you will also see that the rest of creation was seen to be incompatible with mankind. This is something that we'll also need to remember as we talk about dealings with evolution. 
is that as Adam was put to work, he would see and God would see that there were none that were compatible with Adam and he was alone because of it. And we'll see next week that God determined it wouldn't be good that Adam was alone. And so the rest of God's creation is in fact quite different from mankind. Three, that no other creation, again, as we get to this point again, no other creation does or has ever had the marker of being in the image and likeness of God. And this harkens back to the first point a little bit, but it's important to remember because, again, certain ev- if certain evolutions were true, if they were true, they would rightly insist that other parts of creation would bear this likeness as well. That means if we came from something else, whatever it is that we came from would have had to have been bearing the likeness and image of God itself because God created that thing in its fullness, but we know that is not the case. If this was true, they would make room for compatibility with beasts and it would lower the standard of living where we were created for to the animalistic morality and ethic way of living. And so, as we work through Genesis 1, we see God lay out very plainly that mankind is not like the rest of his creation. So much so that he wouldn't even allow it to be, see them to be compatible. We have been made in our Father's image. We are the tangible and viewable expression of himself onto us. And we have been made in his likeness. Again, the comparable characteristics within ourselves that could remind us and others of the Father. This reminds me of the phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And if you've never heard that phrase before, what it means is that a child usually has similar character or similar qualities to his or her parents. Brothers and sisters, in, especially in salvation, remember we're talking pre-fall at the moment, and so the likeness was much closer than what we see now. But in salvation today, we should bear the image and the likeness of our Father. Col- Colossians 3.10 reads, If we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, in our new self, we are being made like our Savior. But it does bring the question to mind, have we considered the gravity of this gift of being made in his image and in his likeness? I want us to consider what that really means is if God has allowed us to be blessed with such a remarkable gift as that, it comes with a great responsibility for the believer because that means we are supposed to be a reflection of our Father. Now, this isn't a strange concept because anybody has someone that they look up to and whether they want to admit it or not, they typically tend to cultivate marks of their life to be like the person that they admire most so that maybe they would be compared to that person. And I would say, are we ever living our lives in a way that we might be compared to the character and likeness of our Father? In Scripture, we see this truth, being able to only follow one master, 
But in salvation, we may not consider enough the importance of reflecting our Redeemer and Father in the faith. What do I mean by that? In salvation, we tend to try to take advantage of the grace that has been given to us. We love to claim salvation. We love to claim the grace and mercy of God, but not often do we tend to want to embrace the sanctification that is supposed to come with it is we have no problem bearing the markers of our previous father, the enemy. But in salvation, we should desire to bear the markers of our creator, of our father, the one who has gone well out of his way to redeem us, to be able to have the relationship we once had with him. So here in this, these first couple verses, when God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, There's weight that exists in this verse that we have to consider on a daily basis. And I wouldn't say it's a weight that should condemn us. It's a weight that should actually excite us in the fact that we have a God who has instilled in us the ability to replicate holiness as he has put it in us. So are we putting on our new self? Are we walking in this renewed knowledge after the image of our creator? And then, as we move into the next point, in verse 28 through 31, we'll read this together. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So we've seen God's idea that he wanted to create something different than the rest of creation, something that could bear his likeness. We see that as he would explain that, that he would follow through and actually do so with Adam and Eve. Because again, verse 27 speaks in the past tense that he did create man in his image and in his likeness, male and female. But now what he does is he provides Adam and Eve their calling. Now, There are slight changes because sin has been introduced to the world, but the truths here within this are still the same. First, he says, be fruitful and multiply. This is another blessing given to us by God. And this is one that I think most people tend to particularly enjoy. Some would even tend to enjoy it to a point to where this blessing would actually become sin, And it's because we have miscategorized something that maybe we have emphasized to a point that is unnecessary. He has given us this blessing to be fruitful and multiply, but something that is interesting is that, have you noticed, as you look back in chapter one, verse 20 through 23, mankind is not the only one of God's creation who has been told to be fruitful and multiply. 
this blessing, this gift, this ability has not been given only to mankind. God has actually encouraged all of his creation to do that. And so what does that mean? This gift doesn't distinguish us from the rest of creation. And because of that, it cannot be our purpose. It cannot be our identity. And it cannot be our reason for being. And I would say that the culture that we live in today, we really need to be reminded of this because in our singleness, we can tend to cultivate relationships too soon because we would desire the ability to be fruitful, I'm trying to be PG right now. And then in our marriages, we can tend to let the inability to be fruitful, at least to the way that we would desire it, to corrupt our marriages we would corrupt our friendships because we have an inability to parse out friendship with sexuality. We have brought this thing to a point because we have had the problem, or we have the problem now, at least many of us, of making this gift our whole identity. And I've only spoken of a few things, but as we look around culturally, we can see all sorts of problems that come with making all of who we are about our sex. But this is not something that is particularly just for mankind. As we, believers, establish our identities in Christ, or even as we try to cultivate healthy relationships in salvation, we have to be careful not to over-prioritize sexuality. It's not found in Scripture to be as important as we often try to make it to be. We even have to be guarded so that our minds wouldn't be arrested by something other than by an action that doesn't define humanity, let alone our personal identities. This is a good gift given to us by God, but it is not the end-all be-all. And when we, re when we try to rest our whole self in this thing, that is common to all of God's creation, we can find ourselves lacking identity because it was never supposed to be there in the first place. And so, I don't want to discourage you. Again, this is a blessing. This is a good gift. But should our whole self, should our whole relationships, should our whole marriage, should our whole existence be wrapped up in this particular calling? No, we can't do that. Next, he would say, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. Again, in creation, we see God speaking in plurality as he is speaking about this idea. He follows through with this idea, and then he finally is directing his creation. So this first one, again, be fruitful and multiply, but then next we see the call to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Now, this is something that is also different about mankind as opposed to the rest of his creation. None of the other creation is provided a dominative direction. As you look at every single other day of God's creation, none of God's creation is given the call to reign as dominion or to have dominion over anything else. This is actually something specific to man and woman. All of the rest live to contribute to earth as prescribed and as led. Pre-fall, creation with the breath of life within it. 
And I would ask you to notice that because I, I know that I didn't notice that until recently studying because when we talk about having dominion over the earth and subduing it, a lot of times we misremember this particular text and we're like, we're supposed to rule over the whole thing. Well, no, take a step back and notice that he says, man is only supposed to have dominion over the things that God has given his breath of life to. And so we can tend to be a little prideful when we think that we can rule over nature and the earth itself that is beyond our dominion. But here, we have been given to have dominion over the creatures that have the breath of life. And with that, creation with the breath of life was to trust and follow the only one of God's creation that was made in his image. And can I say that that actually brings to mind a really important question with how we would live our lives in accordance with the rest of God's creation as well. Do we live in a way that creation would see the characteristics of their creator through us? We were not supposed to rule in dominion in a way that would be an iron fist or rule with fear. We were supposed to be able to rule with holy authority over all of God's creation. And I have heard from a pulpit and I have heard from the Christian um, mouth say that we are supposed to have dominion over the earth in this strange, um, almost wicked way that the world is supposed to fear who we are. But brothers and sisters, God didn't create any of creation to be fearful of any of itself. And so we, as we are working in God's image, should be a reflection even to anything else that has the breath of life within it. Now, what is dominion? That is to prevail against something else. That is to reign over it. It is to subjugate something else. But as we're talking about being in a place of dominion, again, it is never inclusive of mistreatment or ill treatment. So here, as we have dominion, this is something that God has given to us, again, as we bear his image, as we bear his likeness to those that would see it. Now, again, another thing that we tend to forget as we are in this walk of faith, look back at verse 27 for just a second, <clears throat> because we're talking about the call that has been given. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And say this one with me, male and female, he created them. So this has been done, this has been accomplished. A lot of times we think that God is only speaking to Adam when it comes to what his specific call to rule over in dominion of the earth. And it says God blessed them in duality, both man and woman. And he said to them, you be fruitful and multiply. You subdue the earth and you have dominion over it. Something that is important for us to remember. And I'm not, not acknowledging the fact that there is still a, fam a familial order, that there is still an order within the church, but a lot of times we tend to overextend it and belittle the partners that God has given us. This call of dominion was given to both. Adam was given the task. The Lord saw he was alone, that he needed a helper, and he provided him a helper that was what? Fit to be able to help him have dominion. And so brothers and sisters, 
as we talk about marriage for just a moment, as we talk about relationships, I will say specifically to men for a moment, you are not looking for a bride that you can rule over. You are not looking for a woman who would be useless to you in your household aside from being fruitful. That's all I'll say about that. We're not gonna go into graphic detail here. You as a believer are called to look for a wife who would glorify and honor God as you both would work together to subdue the call God has put on both of your lives. And can I say, if I believe I would still be married to my wife. Kara, I love you, so don't take this the wrong way. But my looking for a bride would have been very different if I realized I was looking for a partner in work. If I realized I was looking for a partner in ministry. We have taken this American idea of a wife which is just somebody who sits at home and bakes pies and forgotten that, no, Eve was provided to be a actual helper in the rigors of life with you. She is still called to trust you. She is still called to follow your lead, but she is also not called to be left behind by you. Brothers and sisters, I would say that there is a, the spark of feminism I'm not approving it, so please don't take this this way. But there are absolutely women who would have that heartache and that passion because they have been left behind by those who were supposed to be their partners. And so men, we're not looking for brides to belittle. We're not looking for women to quench. We are looking for partners in life and they should be treated as partners in life. Women, You look for men who want you to be a partner in life. That also demands that you're looking for a man who knows what his call is, who knows where the Lord is leading him, who knows where you ought to be led, and who would be listening to the Lord to know how to utilize the gifts God has given you. And so, if anybody in here is listening or looking for a spouse, and you are a woman, look for a man whose eyes are wholly focused on the call God has given him and who is ready to bear arms with you and walk in that goal together. So with that, ladies, that also does require you to know what your gifts are. It requires that you also know where the Lord might be leading you so you could find this person walking together in work. Because where do we find Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter one and two? They are found working together. With that, I'm not gonna get too far ahead of myself, but this dominion is a call for the both. This dominion applies only to the creatures with the breath of life. And then we see this interesting detail, and I can't imagine what this kind of world would have looked like, but we should note that all of God's creation was designed at this point, pre-fall, to thrive on the vegetation that God had provided for them. This is an important mark to remember as we get into Genesis chapter three, as we would see a sacrifice made for the sin of Adam and Eve, because by Genesis three, the blood would not have been spilled on the earth. And so this is literal. 
all creatures, it doesn't matter whether we know them to be carnivores or not, they were eating a green diet and they were wholly sustained by it. I don't know how to explain what has happened post the fall, but once blood was spilled and it fell into the soil of this earth for the sin of our pride, the world greatly changed. But here, this is what it looked like. This is what it was lived like. These two were at this time doing this work faithfully. And can I say this? God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning and this was the sixth day. This was the last, <laughs> this would be one of the last times that we will see God be able to say it was good. And this is a really important marker for us to remember. This seems like a, a sentence that we can just gloss over, but we do have to remember this. Again, remembering what Genesis is. This is the beginning of all things. This is a reminder that we have a creator. This is a reminder that there is a director of life. This is a reminder that we are supposed to be submitted to that creator's way of life. But that creator, at the end of it all, as he is good and he is holy above all things, was able in his holiness to look at earth at this time and say, it is good. And so many of us today, we get hit with this question. And I believe in life and in salvation, when the Christian may ask, what is life supposed to look like? What I would say is you should look for every marker in scripture when God says it is good. If we're wondering what life, what life is supposed to look like for ourselves as an individual, if we're wondering what life is supposed to look like for ourselves in marriage, if we're supposed to wonder what life is going to look like post the death that we've experienced, divorce, or loss of life, or whatever it is, we want to look for whatever it is that God would describe as good so that we would be able to posture ourselves spiritually in that good place. Philippians 4, 8 through 9 reads this, so that you guys know this isn't just my opinion. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Remember, God's word is true. Genesis is inclusive in that truth. And thus we have to remember it and believe it and walk within it. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. This is so plain in its description that we are being told here that whenever you have a question as to how things are supposed to work, you put your mind to these things. Does it possess the honor and love and glory that God would require to be within it for us to put our mind to it? And you know, there's so many different aspects of life when we run into crossroads, right? We run into situations in parenthood. We run into situations in marriage. We run into situations in the workplace or our profession or whatever it is. There's gonna be times when we can't seem to determine what it is that is 
appropriate for us to do or which route we're supposed to take. But when I have to consider if there is anything true, honorable, just, pure, or commendable, or excellent, where do those characteristics lie? That is the direction the Christian is called to walk in. And can I say the both fortunate because it refines our faith, but unfortunate because it is difficult. The direction is clear, but it is not easy. But can I say for anybody who's willing to walk the route of commendable and excellent, the prize that waits for you from the Lord on the other side is always greater than the prize man holds within his hand to give to you in the other direction. And then what does it say? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Sorry, I'm back in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. We have learned and heard and received and seen in me. Practice these things. And then what? The God of peace will be with you. We live in a confused world. We're looking around and we see a confused church we see confused believers because we're not considering these things and we wonder why peace has evaded us in our homes. If you want the God of peace to be with you, if you want to be confident in knowing that the God of peace hears your prayers, if you want to be confident in knowing that the God of peace is going to lead you into a path unto righteousness, into life everlasting, then this is where we live, is in the things that God calls good. And so as we look at the creation of man today, we see that we have been made in his image. We've been made in his likeness. That automatically means that no matter what your excuse is, the word would tell you, you possess from God the ability. Should you put your faith in him and he puts the Holy Spirit in you, you possess the ability to bear his likeness. That means you no longer have to live and think the way that you previously did. That means that we do have to fess up sometimes that the things that we struggle with at certain times are because we're just choosing to not let go of the old mind and to not bear the new one. I'm ignoring this good gift that God has given me and instilled in me because you have not been created with less care than Adam. Have you considered that? God spent just as much time on you as he spent with Adam and Eve. You are an intricate design that God loves abundantly. And so you have the God-given ability to be sanctified and walk in holiness. But then with those markers, again, in salvation, because we're speaking to the believer now, this pertains to all creation pre-fall, but now this only pertains to the believer. But in salvation, you also have work to do. And as you put your hands to the plow, as you would begin to walk faithfully, we'll see this next week, God will see and be able to identify the things that you need and he will provide the things that you need as you're working. But man, we make this mistake all the time is I'm not willing to go to work because I see all the things that I need. I don't see an ability to accomplish a task. Adam did not ask those things. He just moved. 
And we'll see next week, and just giving you a little bit of a teaser here, Adam hadn't even finished the job when God saw Adam needs a partner. He didn't say, Adam, hold on, pause, man. This is gonna be too hard. No, he says, I'll just give you what you need when you need it. If you wanna be blessed by God, you still have to walk in obedience. You have been given the mind. You have been given the likeness. We have been given the call. And what is the most general and blessed call for all believers that you are to go out and to evangelize and to make disciples. What that looks like, I don't know, but that is every single one of our calls. And if you are not walking in faith because you're afraid of fumbling it, then you need to remember that God is going to provide you the things that you need. Even to the disciples, Jesus would tell them, don't worry about the things you'll say the Spirit will give you the things to say in the moment. And so, brothers and sisters, as we wrap up Genesis chapter 1, it is an amazing encouragement to see the intentionality and the intricacy and the purpose that God has created us with. It's a wonderful reminder as the world continually tries to shove down our throats that we are just another kind of animal to see that, no, you are not. You have been created to subdue the rest of creation. You have been given a mind that is beyond them. And it doesn't mean that we have to subdue and rule with a wicked hand or a wicked heart we would be able to do it with the help God has provided us in his likeness that we would be, because we have been given his likeness, a reflection of God's character. That the world would be able to say of us, his spiritual children, the apple does not fall far from the tree with that one. But I don't know how many of us that can truly be said of. I hope by the time I'm called home, somebody would be able to say that. I don't want somebody to say he was just like this person. I'd love it to be said of me that he was just like his father. And for the world to know what that meant. What a wonderful thing to be compared to the God that saved us. He's still better. That's just a single attribute that we might reflect just a little bit, but what a wonderful gift to be given the ability by God to do just that. To be able to hold a relationship so close that we would be able to reflect that kind of character. That's not in my notes, but can you consider that for just a minute? God desires a relationship so close with you that you would actually know the kind of character the kind of language, the kind of speech, and the kind of action that would remind the redeemed of his faithfulness. And it would remind the lost that there is a God who is able to save. It is done in abundant love. It is done in abundant grace. And it is done in mercy. And I will say at times, even like we talked about this last Sunday, it can be done and all kinds of different action. Brothers and sisters, we serve a wonderful God and he created us for a reason, with a reason. So with that, why don't we stand and pray and invite the worship team back up.
Father. God, we come before you this evening having just considered the end of this first chapter. Lord, as, as we begin to see the intentionality, Lord, that you put to designing us. And so, Lord, I pray that, God, we would be encouraged by this. Father, not that we would be condemned because, Lord, I pray all of us would be honest. God, we're all lacking in our expression of you. But, Father, your word shows us here, even in Genesis chapter 1, that, God, you gave us the ability. And now in salvation, through the gift of your son on the cross, you have given us the ability to know you well enough to bear your likeness. God, as we bear your likeness, it not only teaches us to be a servant, but Lord, it also teaches us to be a conqueror. It teaches us how to have dominion, Lord. It teaches us to live in a way that would reflect the one true and almighty, all-powerful, all-creator God. So Lord, I pray that we would be filled full of faith knowing that today, Lord. That we wouldn't confuse meekness with weakness tonight. But that, Lord, we would know as we would reside in your presence, reside in your design, reside in your shadow, that we would rely on you, our strong tower, that, God, we would abide and live with the peace of God. So, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us tonight, that you would provide a safe travels home, and that, Father, in this final song of worship, that you would encourage us to cry aloud, that you encourage us to lift our hands in praise, and that, Lord, you might even encourage us to fall on our knees and give thanks for the fact that we serve such a great and loving Father. So, Jesus, we pray that you be with us tonight. We ask all this in your precious name. And all the saints agreed and said, Amen.